Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. This WBEZ podcast is supported by Hasia whose Executive Fellows Program provides Black and Latinx business owners with real-world tools and strategies needed to master fundamental management concepts related to company stability and growth. Registrants learn through one-on-one executive coaching sessions with subject matter experts in the areas of finance, business development, operations, and legal. More info at HACIAWorks.org. From WBEZ Chicago, I'm Greta Johnson, and this is the Nerd App Book Club. It's just like a regular book club, except you don't have to share your snacks. It is the month of May, and our book this month is Idra Novi's novel, Take What You Need. It alternates points of view between Jean, a woman who welds giant sculptures in her rural Pennsylvania living room, and Leah, Jean's estranged former stepdaughter. When the story opens, we know Jean has died and Leah is back in her hometown to see Jean's art. As the book goes on, we learn Jean and Leah had a pretty serious falling out a couple years before the story starts, partly because of Elliot, who is Jean's disenfranchised neighbor. That's all I'm going to say for now, because this is going to be a spoilery conversation. So here is your spoiler warning. If you haven't read the book and you don't want to know what happens, go listen to my interview with the author in the feed. If you have read the book or you are game for spoilers anyway, welcome. I am so excited to introduce you to this month's panelist. With us this month, we have the author of Fellowship Point, Alice Elliott Dark. Alice, hello. Hi there. How are you? Awesome. We also have Clavis Natera. She is the author of Neruda on the Park. Clavis, hello. Hi. I'm so happy to be here. I love this book. Yay. Okay. So, yeah, what stood out to you about it? Well, I mean, I really just love the dynamic between these two women. I mm. think. Jean is a character for the ages. Yes. She is so complicated. She is so funny. I felt that, you know, her imagination and the way that she interacted with these other artists from the past through books was really inspiring. And the manglements. I mean, I kept imagining these sculptures in my mind and just thinking how bold it is to witness this woman that's creating from scrapyards. And, you know, she's creating this work from the margins in every yes. aspect. And I just yes. I just loved her as a character. Oh, I love that phrase, work from the margins. That's beautiful. So, Alice, Fellowship Point is also about an older woman. She's a writer in that case. But I wonder, especially for you, in terms of Idra's rendering, how that how that worked for you. I thought it was a great portrayal of someone who has had a long life and some deep sorrows because of it. She's thinking about it in terms of the fact that she becomes attracted to a younger man. And she does have then have thoughts like, why would he be interested in me? He wouldn't be interested in me. She has all those thoughts that are sort of typical thoughts of an older woman. But I think when she's practicing her art, her only age-related thought is physical limitation. Yeah. Um, and that could be true of many people at many ages. She just isn't strong enough to lift the stuff she wants to lift. 
Yeah, I'm glad to hear you bring up her desire because that was something that interviewing Idra, she was also really insistent about emphasizing too the the idea that you can very much be a postmenopausal woman and also still have desire. <laughs> well, I am a postmenopausal woman, so I think it's kind of funny that you know that's not obvious because it is true. I mean, older people don't lose their sex drive, but yes, it's not that often portrayed. Of course, of course. So, Clavis, when it comes to that idea of art on the margins, as you put it, I think that's really interesting. We mentioned, you know, Jean's an older woman. She lives in rural America. She's also making art that no one sees, which seems at the same time both so brilliant and also maybe kind of futile. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, you know, one of the things that inspired me most about the portrayal of Jean and this obsession she has with with both the scale of of her sculptures, but also kind of the the root from which they began, is that, you know, both places of departure, how she begins to create these sculptures, are both rooted in loss. So there Mm -hmm. is the memory of her father who used to himself create, but for more practical reasons, he was creating, um, you know, metalwork to sell. And any time that Jean would want to embellish these pieces with glass or, you know, with other adornments, the father would be like, that's too girly, like, get out of here, you know? And then we know that part of the reason she begins to create these sculptures is also because of Leah, you know, because mm-hmm. um, because of her stepdaughter, they're estranged from each other. And so I just thought that this idea of like what inspires are how we can you know, in some ways, I felt like there was something really profound about this idea of how we can keep at it, like working through our grief in mm-hmm. this very physically demanding way. And I also felt like ultimately when she begins this very odd friendship with this with this yes. next door neighbor, Elliot, um, I just thought that that in itself also lent this idea that Alice was talking about, like the desire gets mixed into these, you know, objects and like the fact that he's stronger and younger becomes itself like a root of desire. And yes, mm. she's she's physically attracted to him, but she's also physically attracted to his strength, like his youth, the ability that he has to lift heavy things because she can do it. So, Clavis, I think it's really interesting to hear you talk about how Gene finds Elliot appealing because at the same time, like he literally smells very bad. Right. I mean, he's Mm -hmm. like in some ways he's not appealing at all. And I think it's such a fascinating gray area that he occupies. And I wonder, Alice, how you thought of that as you read the book. I loved Elliot. Um, I loved him. I think the way she loved him. Mm. He was such a um lost soul really Mm. he seemed to be very tender with his mother and his sister he had nothing to do I mean there's no work for him and um I you know I thought she had a lot of profound feelings for him that she she never really entirely um analyzed you know she just sort of took him as he came you know, he smells bad, so go take a shower. You know, I mean, it it just seems so down to earth, like everything about Jean. I really, I really like that. And um, she allowed him so much freedom when he was at her house. She taught him how to, how to do the welding 
which he was very shy, but then he tried it and took to it very quickly. And one thing I, you know, coming back to something that Clavis was saying about her work becoming a more ambitious, I really felt that it was fascinating that he kept being, Elliot kept being described as being so skinny mm. and she fed him, mm-hmm. but she, nobody could feed him enough. He was just like under an undernourished person. And yet that was in so much contrast to his physical strength. And I think like the combination of those two things really had a huge impact on her inspiration. It was like, there was such a, um, you know, he embodied such a huge contrast that I think it spurred her on, not just that he could help her carry stuff, but like, here's this person in her house who's such, you know, has like this towering strength in spite of limitations. And that's kind of where she was going to. Yeah. I mean, one thing that I do think that there's something really, I found it to be really sexy, like just the way that she is kind of obsessed with his body. And even though the descriptions, these are first person accounts. So we are seeing the world through Jean's eyes um, and, you know, understanding it through her consciousness. But I thought it was just fascinating that, you know, even though he is thin and malnourished, he has all the strength and that, you know, as Alice was saying, that is definitely something that I think is it's igniting something really critically important in in Jean's process. I also felt like there was something sinister. And that's why I kind of love Jean. Right. Because Jean, yeah, Jean becomes aware of a power dynamic that we yes. don't often see. There's the power dynamic of her because she has water. She has chips. Like she's able to offer him, you know, and and withhold, right? Like she withholds a towel, right? So Mm -hmm. just imagining him in the bathroom taking a shower and just imagining the water going through his body. And so I just thought that this idea of, you know, the power dynamics and the ways in which power can be yielded in very different ways by people who we might not expect to be powerful in certain social cir- circumstances yes. um, was also something that I thought Idra did, um, you know, marvelously. Yeah, I thought it was really beautiful, mm-hmm. too. I think, I mean, so much of this book ends up being about fraught relationships. I mean, there's definitely the one between Jean and Elliot, but also between Jean and Leah. It's so heartbreaking to see the way Things just sort of disintegrated over time and then came to this abrupt end in this moment on the cliff. I thought I thought that was a really beautifully illustrated sequence too, not just the cliff, but the course of their relationship, because I think it resonated so strongly with me around the idea of the stories we all tell ourselves about what other people think of us and what we may or may not have done wrong and what we do or don't need to apologize for. I thought that was just so heartbreaking and really beautifully done. Yeah, I agree. You know, I read the book a couple times now, three times. Mm. And hmm. I, I I feel the more I read it, the more I feel that Leah is very hidebound in her ideas and Jean is very free in her ideas. And hmm. Elliot is more along the lines of Leah, like the moment when Elliot steps out of the shower and Jean is right at the door. He opens the door and she's standing there and he just grabs her boob. Like, he, he thinks he has, he's not interested or attracted. At least it doesn't seem so. And he says to himself, I can do this. Like now he has to pay her back. And he thinks right. this is what she wanted. So it's very transactional. And I feel like that kind of transactional um, 
exchanges. Leah's kind of coming into that too, because when she comes in to visit Jean, she's bitter. She's bitter. She feels yeah. like Jean has deserted her. And she doesn't really understand what happened, that she was forbidden to be in contact with her and letters weren't given to her. She doesn't know any of that until she doesn't know any of it. I mean, Jean has had a whole different experience of these mm-hmm. intervening years than Leah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think it's just a recipe for disaster. And I love that it all ended up really being a literal cliffhanger. I mean, there, <laughs> you know. <laughs> There, I mean, that was such an amazing scene, too, because, again, I thought Jean, I mean, obviously, she's happy to see Elliot again because she hasn't seen him for a while. Right. And and Jean's a little boy crazy, too, which I, you know, I kind of liked in that. There's <laughs> <laughs> Leah, who she's been dying to see, but she catches one side of Elliot and then, wow. <laughs> but she is in touch with the mores of the town, and she's, these guys don't freak her out like they do Leah and it's such like a gap that cannot be closed in that situation and Leah will not listen to her afterwards she won't come see the manglements which I really felt sad about Mm. I felt sad for Jean about the whole thing yeah I mean I was just gonna say that the the scene for me was so tense and I felt Mm. like I went back and forth you know thinking about like how everybody was wrong in that scene. I mean, there's this sense of dread, right? Which which I think Idra has done such an incredible job throughout, um, especially in Leah's sections. We get this sense, and it's the sense that most of us that have been around from 2016 on um, remember, like driving through certain towns and looking at certain signs in yards and looking at the people people stare at you and Leah is married to a Peruvian husband and has mm-hmm. a child in the car as she's making her way back to to Leah's um to Jean's home and so I felt for her right like I'm a mother of young children and I definitely felt like that sense of dread and danger um and so you know when they flash back to that scene in in the past where they were in this cliff and I just felt like Leah had a reason to be upset. I mean, Jean is once again picking someone other than her. Mm-hmm. Even though Leah is making it obvious that she's feeling really uncomfortable, these men who are with Elliot are being racist. They're talking about violence. Yeah. And so, it, I mean, it isn't like she's making it up, being scared. I mean, I think most of us would be pretty frightened in that situation. Um, but I also felt like for me, part of the reason why I really love that scene is because since there was so much at stake because mm. all Leah wants is for Jean to be her mother to like come right. for her and keep her safe and that is something that Jean withholds time and time again so I just thought that as you know as the night descended and Jean is drinking these beers with these guys I was like oh no like something awful is about to happen and something awful does happen but not what we expect right yeah which I think that's the piece that I find really interesting is that it doesn't I I completely agree with you that those dudes seem extremely menacing, but nothing physically violent actually does happen. So it's this really interesting gray area yes. where, like, yes, Leah is very much afraid. Leah has very good reasons to be afraid, but also everybody's more or less okay at the end of it, which I thought was just a really interesting sort of line for Idra to draw. And I asked her about it. Let's hear what she said. 
if people roar up in an ATV at sunset with beers, I don't want to stay. Like that to me is a high alert state. But for Jean, who lives next to them, who lives next to people like that, and, it, you know, there's people, you know, shooting guns outside her house, that that scenario doesn't set off her high alerts. You know, what sets off her alerts is Leah's disinterest in them. You know, her 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 fear of them is actually to her is sets off a high alert. And then there's Gerardo, who who because he grew up in Peru and has a whole other set of um, things that he can close read. He doesn't see the alerts that Leah sees. And so I really wanted to think about, like, what is it that you that, you know, you experience in childhood or young adulthood that then sets you off and makes you nervous as an adult? And it's so different depending on where you grow up. I just thought that was so wonderful. I mean, she really did capture the idea that like all of those different frameworks can be completely true in the same instance. Yeah, that's I mean, it really is how it seemed to me that I didn't feel those young men were menacing menacing from Jean's point of view. And I was so immersed in Jean's point of view that I was like, yeah, these are just the local guys. I see them every day. They're always Mm. shooting off guns. I mean, this is who they are. And, and there's, you know, she has a lot of compassion for them because she understands that their lives are very narrow. And of course, coming in from the outside and, and uh, Leah doesn't seem to have this kind of a memory of this place because the town has changed quite a bit. So, you know, she's almost seeing it the way um, someone from the East coast would possibly see driving through a place like that, that has, you know, she keeps saying the signs and the flags and, you know, we know what that means, you know, reading menace into a situation where there actually is no menace. It's just like a perception of menace because you don't understand the, you know, the lay of the land where you are. More on take what you need in just a minute. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. So one thing I thought was really interesting about a lot of the reviews I saw about this book was that it really seemed like people wanted to focus on the sort of cultural divisions in the American landscape and how much this book represents that, which I found really interesting, partly because I found the relationships so much more compelling than sort of that like overarching theme. But I was wondering where you two fell on that. Clavis, did that strike you too? Or did it make sense to you? Yeah, I mean, I've been following this very closely because Hmm. I am a nerd of all nerds. I'm in the right place with a nerd. (laughs) So glad to have you. (laughs) I, you know, because this is the thing that makes me crazy about criticism of books mm. is that they always want to look at our books through this lens of like what makes it relevant right now. 
Mm. And I absolutely understand why as a critic or a journalist, you want like clickbait, like you want to be able to make something seem provocative. And I do mm. think that um, Idra very intentionally set up a dynamic where we could talk about and wrestle with these ideas that divide us, the fear that has you know, cleaves the nation. And so Mm -hmm. I'm not dismissing that as being a critically important part of this book, but I also think, just like you were saying, Greta, what what I think animates this book, what makes it sparkle in my mind is this disconnect between these two women. And that this idea of the grander or the macro system around them, the cultural divide, is really fascinating, but it only becomes animated because of how far apart these two women are. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I thought that the book was so much of what it's trying to talk about is love. You know, it's like Mm. the love and the yearning these two women have for each other and how difficult it is for them to just be there for each other in ways that would be meaningful. And so, yeah, so I think I, I I just get a little bit annoyed when I see this book being reduced to like what's happening in America today and these divides, because I think it's so much more beautiful and powerful than just social criticism. I agree completely. I don't, I'm not a review reader, but Mm. having read the book a few times, I see that, but I see it as background. It's like really background. It's, it's like the setting of the book, but I didn't see it as being the subject of the book. I agree. Yeah. I thought the subject of the book was the, you know, the real divide, the uh, estrangement that has happened between these two women through no fault of their own. Yes. And then I also thought the book was about art. Mm-hmm. You know, I think mm. I think any artist can relate to the way it's written about in this book of doing it all by yourself for very, very long periods of time. And some of us go mm-hmm. ahead and publish a book and put it out in the world. and But a lot of people don't. You know, but it's the same. The relationship is the same to like doing being you're alone in the room with this with the work. And if you're really, you know, if you're really like learning things as you go, you do become more and more ambitious. And I just love the way that was portrayed. You know, I love the way she kept thinking back to things that she had read by Agnes Martin or Louise Bourgeois, both of whom uh, came into their own as artists late in life to use for her. So I thought mm-hmm. it was also about Jean and her art. Those were like the two themes. And I agree with Clavis. Both of those were love themes. It's so interesting too to hear you use the word ambition because I think you're absolutely right, but it's so different from the way a lot of us think of it in this day and age, I think, where amb- it's all about you know, making the sell and figuring out how to make a livelihood off out of the thing and be recognized and get the accolades as opposed to working and growing your skill set in your living room. You know, one of the things that I thought was just so poetic about the book is that Jean is going to the scrapyards. Mm-hmm. And I think that Jean has a way of seeing the world. There's this scene where she gets there mm-hmm. very early And there's this man who's setting up these bottles and the sunlight goes through the bottles. And she tells this this man, you've done it, like you've created art. And, you know, and and he thinks that she's kind of poking fun at him. She's like, that's serious. I mean, I think that one of the things that I felt enriched her life, even though she's a very lonely woman, 
is that she really is able to see the world and like find beauty in places where most people wouldn't even bother to look. Yeah, I loved that scene. I thought it was really gorgeous. Yeah. I think too about how she I think I think you're both right that she is definitely lonely, but she also really loves her own company, which is such yeah. a pleasure to see, I think, in especially a woman, especially at that age, being alone and still just like genuinely enjoying herself. Yeah, I agree. And, it, I, you know, I love the way she's living in this house that's fairly um, I mean, she won't paint it because she doesn't want it to stand out in the neighborhood where everything else is sort of falling apart. She owns it with her father's a lot of the a lot of the houses around seem to be, you know, at best rentals, Um, you know, everything is sort of falling apart around her. And then and then you walk in and her whole living room is filled with metal and metal. Mm. I mean, there's no like living room situation in there. And I just loved the space. I love thinking about that space. And I love when. Elliot comes in, he's like, what, what's this? And she goes, oh, you don't have um, a lot of welding equipment in your living room or something like that. I mean, it's a really funny line. I love when she says like wise ass things like that. But, you know, just like changing, allowing herself to change her living situation from being something conventional to something mm-hmm. that totally is her vision. So it's kind of difficult what she's made her home into, but it's hazardous. <laughs> it's, it's quite hazardous and she has a terrible accident, but um, it's also really inspiring. Well, especially I think the symbolism of the fact that it was her father's house and her dad was kind of an asshole. And so here she is, she's inherited this thing that in some ways is super helpful, but in other ways is also this burden. And the fact that she's made that her own, is especially cool, I think. Yeah, it is. I, I totally agree. I really love that. I would love to talk about the ending of this book. Clavis, what did you think? I think endings are so difficult. Mm. And this, the book's ending brought me to tears. Hmm. And I it was so unexpected for me because I, you know, I was thinking a lot about what it means for someone who doesn't have that aspiration, as Alice was saying. I mean, Jean is not someone that's doing her work because she wants it to end up in a museum. At no point do we see her have that desire. But I think that Leah and her social capital, right, is very much of the people who value that, mm-hmm. who understand that whether or not someone values being part of the archive, taking up room is important. And so for me, I just thought that it was really just kind of love, lovely. And, and for me, in a way, it fulfilled the requirement I had for there to be um, like some kind of resolution between these two women. And I think the resolution for me came by way of respect, because I think in some ways, Leah doesn't always come across as, she comes across to me as more limited in some ways, like Alice said before. And the ending for me really redeemed her, like in a (laughs) way that, um, that I I thought was really um, important just in terms of the relationship itself. That is a really beautiful point. And that reminds me of that line that I can't quite remember, but maybe one of you can a little better about where Leah's talking to her friend about how like she's supposed to be grieving, but instead she's busy calling all of these places. And the friend is like, well, maybe that's the grief. I thought that was such a beautiful 
look at that. Yeah, I, I totally agree with Clarence about that. I, I felt that Leah really came into her own with really taking on um, Jean's art, finally. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. So what do you think is a title? Take what you need. I think I heard Idra say that it was a phrase from the Bible and that it was um, and that it was this idea of like, take what you need and nothing else. And so, you know, I really love it because I think so much of what the book is dealing with is class. I mean, it's dealing with class divides. It's dealing with the assumptions we make about material worth and mm-hmm. i think you know we all know that especially in american society i mean the more you have the shinier your things the more name brand we appoint worthiness based on people's wealth and whether we admit it or not as a society that's part of our value system so mm-hmm. like part of the reason why i love this title so much is because i think that's what it's doing like the title is saying take what you need not anything else, you know, like what we need from our, what we need from our relationships with each other. Um, I just think it's really important what she's saying with the title and overall with the book. Yeah, for sure. It's really beautiful. So we do a thing where we have a completely arbitrary rating system each month. And I thought (laughs) this time it would be really fun to do manglements because (laughs) they just seem amazing. And like the more crowded the room is and the more difficult it is to get around them, I just love that idea so much. So I thought that's what we would do again, completely arbitrary from like one to 100 manglements. Alice, how many manglements would you give this book? <laughs> well, I would just have to say 100. I mean, yeah. do I have? that would probably take up, you know, half the state of Pennsylvania. Um, <laughs> but no, I really love this book. I, I, you know, I don't, always find books that I love as much as I love this one. I really, Mm. I was really drawn to it. Well, I mean, I I agree with Alice, but I would put them one on top of the other. So there wouldn't be so much room. I think like, I think Jean's, you know, ambition was to like, keep growing things vertically. To the moon. To honor Jean, I think we have to stack them on top of each other. I would love to know if y'all have recommendations for other books that people would like. It really could be anything at all. The one that came to mind for me is one that I actually haven't finished yet. I just started it, but it's called Biography of Accidents by Catherine Lacey. And X is a super famous author and artist who, when she dies, her wife decides to try to figure out more about her very mysterious past. And... The other interesting layer on top of that is that it takes place in a sort of alternate version of the United States where the the South like seceded. Essentially, there was a split in like the 1940s or 50s, I think. So there's like a very real and very codified um, cultural divide, which I think obviously is resonant to this one in a lot of different ways. Alice, what do you think? Well, I picked out two books. Um, Oh, great. One is The Lost Daughter by... Eleanor Ferrante, which I Mm. think similar themes of estrangement from daughters. I know Jean is is and Leah's stepdaughter situation, but it was made into a movie. um, But I would say read the book because it's 
it's again the writing is what is it's very intense it's very intense and sort of even claustrophobic about a woman who goes alone a middle-aged woman goes alone on a beach vacation and she does something really transgressive to other people i'm not even going to say because it's better if you just read it and then mm-hmm. and then there's memories of her relationships with her children and it's really good i mean it's really kind of amazingly compelling and good in the same way and the other one i chose was an old book song of the lark by willa cather which i think is another amazing portrayal of an artist this this is a singer and she has to go on sort of a vision quest to figure out really who she is and as an artist and it's quite quite a beautiful book excellent recommendations thank you alice uh clavis what do you got well, so the books I picked, I picked two also, um, and they're both books that I think are grappling with the idea of love and desire separately. Mm. So the first one is a short story collection. I think it just came out in the last month or two. It's called When Trying to Return Home mm. by Jennifer Maritza McCauley. I mean, I was just blown away by by Jennifer. The The stories are all examining people's relationships to home. There's the first story, which is about this mother who is trying to steal back her child who has been taken from her and put into foster care. And the child has like liver disease. And so, Mm -hmm. I mean, the stakes are so high and the story is told from the daughter who is her accomplice and who has Mm -hmm. a really good life and is in love with her boyfriend and doesn't want to go to jail, you know, because she knows what's going to happen. By the end of that story, I was like, give the woman all the awards. You know, you read a debut like that and you're like, like, what is this? You know, and I thought that all of that was really like a, a search for love and like, where do we feel most loved and at home? And so I love that one. Mm-hmm. And then the other one, because, you know, prop to Jean, Jean was not afraid to show us her horny side. And I told Idra, <laughs> I told Idra, I will use really pretty words to say, I love an empowered woman that follows her desire. But to say it more crudely, I just feel like we need more horny women yeah in literature you know so <laughs> so one of the books that i read recently that i really was getting all hot and bothered as i was reading it is <laughs> it's, it's called little rabbit by elisa sansri dijesh mm. i probably messed up her last name but it's it's a book about a young woman who falls in love with this choreographer she herself is an aspiring writer but just can't seem to catch her break And this man is very powerful and influential. And, you know, I think Alyssa is really playing with these ideas of subversiveness um, Mm. and who is submissive, you know, and this woman ends up getting into like a very sexy S&M situation with this man. And um, it's, I mean, it's just like the language itself is really spare and gorgeous. But when she turns up the heat, (laughs) get ready. Okay. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. Well, good. I'm glad we have, we all have extra reading homework, which is such a treat, I think, for all of us, right? (laughs) Well, Alice, Clavis, thank you both so much for coming on and talking with me about this beautiful book. It was such a pleasure. (laughs) It was wonderful. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Greta. It was really fun. (laughs) 
All right, that's it for this month. Thanks to y'all for listening and reading along. Our June book club pick is The Adventures of Amina Al-Sarafi. It is by Shannon Chakraborty. I can't wait for you to hear the author interview and to read this book, so get on it. And I am announcing right now our July selection is Loot by Tanya James. Nerdette is produced by me and Anna Bauman. J.P. Swenson builds our newsletter every week. And Brendan Banizak is our executive producer. Have a great week. We will see you on Friday. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.